Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning as we do each week. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, goodness, uh, we've just seen the nativity story told in about the cutest way possible. And the joy that will be to all people. I mean, you know, they, they tell actors never to work with animals or little children. And one of the reasons they say that is because that kids and animals are so cute that they'll upstage any performance. You could be Daniel Day-Lewis over here and people would be going, oh, look at the cute dog. Who's a good boy? So preachers should get similar advice. Never preach immediately following a Christmas pageant. You'll never be as cute as they were. So I won't try to do too much this morning. I just want to briefly say that as I was reading the Nativity story again this week, I came across something interesting. We are, all of us, I think so used to, from watching incredibly cute Christmas pageants or watching a Charlie Brown Christmas, we are all intimately familiar with the story of the Nativity as Luke tells it. Luke is the one who says, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. He's the one who says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's the thing I noticed. We always get this story of the angel talking to Mary. We saw it again this morning. But did you know that an angel came to Joseph too? I sort of forgot until I read it again this week. The reason it's easy to forget is that it doesn't get mentioned by Luke. And so in the Charlie Brown Christmas and in most Christmas pageants and at Christmas readings, we often don't hear about it. It's in Matthew. And we basically never read it. But I want to tell you a little bit of Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus this morning. Because as Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, he does it in a way that we're not used to. He writes it sort of like he's reporting on it for his high school newspaper. Just the facts. Listen to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. <laughs> Killer opening sentence, right? When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. And that's it. No flowery language. No setting the stage. Nothing. Eight verses and it's over. Matthew's not about the language or the stage. Matthew has a couple of points to make. And he gets right to them. And they are Matthew's points that I'd like to share with you just briefly this morning. Like I said before, Matthew's first break from the story as Luke tells it is that Matthew tells the story of the angel appearing to Joseph rather than to Mary. And that has an interesting result. It's a much earthier, more human, and I think more relatable story. Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. And he's within his rights to get rid of her in a very embarrassing public way. He's even within his rights to have her stoned. He resolves, though, to divorce her quietly. He's a good guy. But just as he's about to do it, just as his life is enveloped in this very seemingly shameful thing that everyone around is seeing, an angel appears to him in a dream. And tells him to not be afraid. Tells him that God is at work. This is a child of the Holy Spirit. So the first point is that Matthew is saying from the very beginning that Jesus shows up where he is least expected. To sinners. Now, we know that Mary hadn't sinned. But Mary was the only one in that town who knew that. We know that the child in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph didn't know that. Neither did anyone in the community. To them, it just looked like Mary was a girl in trouble, or as they used to say, a girl of ill repute. So while there was no actual sin, there sure was the appearance of it. And the angel comes to Joseph and basically tells him that he's going to continue in this appearance of sin. People are probably still going to be whispering to each other about Mary. And somehow Joseph seems to be going along with it. What's wrong with them? Have you seen Mary and Joseph? How can he live with such a woman? And this is Matthew's point, that Jesus comes into sinful situations where there is shame, where there is uncertainty, where there is failure, where there is pain. There Jesus is. Joseph must have been incredibly hurt by what he thought Mary had done before he had this dream with the angel, but he was then given the faith to continue his relationship with this woman who he must have been pretty sure was a notorious and terrible sinner. And that's a characteristic that Jesus will exhibit too. A refusal to break relationship with a notorious and terrible sinner like you. Like me. Jesus is the friend 
of terrible sinners. So that's Matthew's first point, that Jesus is most commonly found to be getting his hands dirty in the muck of the real lives of terrible sinners. That's Jesus' home base. Matthew's second point is even more important. Listen, when the angel tells Joseph that he doesn't have to be afraid, he says this, The child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. Matthew wants to get Jesus' job description clear from the very beginning. Not only is his work going to be with sinful people, but it's going to be for sinful people. Jesus is coming to save them. He is Savior. That's it. It's interesting in the intervening years. We've gotten used to talking more about all the other sorts of things that Jesus is. Healer, lover, unifier, friend. I've seen trucker hats that say, Jesus is my homeboy. But the angel to Joseph doesn't elaborate. It's simple. Jesus is Savior. Period. Anything else he is, any of those other things, and he is those other things to be sure, but anything else Jesus is, is a byproduct of his saving work. And I realize this isn't the thing that we traditionally hear about around Christmas. Jesus isn't Savior until Holy Week, right? Good Friday and Easter Sunday are when he does that work. Can't you give us a break talking about Jesus saving death and talk about the cute baby? Well, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what Matthew wants to get across in his very first words about Jesus Christ. The very first thing that he tells Joseph about his son is that he's coming to save people from their sins. What did the kids sing? What's the news that will bring joy to all people? A Savior has been born to you. Not to lead you, not to teach you, not even to love you or comfort you, but to save you. He wasn't coming with a map or a battle plan or a curriculum or a handkerchief to wipe away your tears. He was coming with broad shoulders, strong enough to carry a cross and then bear the sins of the world. This is what St. John is talking about in his revelation when he says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This was always the plan. You see, the Easter story isn't a story about God making the best out of a bad situation. The Easter story is a plan working to perfection and an ultimate triumph. And it's a plan whose phase one begins at Christmas. John Donne said that Christ's birth and his death were but one continual act, and his Christmas day and his Good Friday are but the evening and morning of one and the same day. So the next time we come to church, tomorrow night, it'll be to celebrate 
the implementation of a plan that was put into place at the beginning of time. But for now, we can take comfort in the words of the angel to Joseph. Into this sinful world and to this sinful people, to you, a Savior will come. It's the joy that will be to all people. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Amen.